Darker Days Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and of course tonight I'm joined by Chig. How's it going, Chig? Pretty good, Mike. Evening, everyone. So, uh, this is a Darkling episode. Uh, Darkling podcasts are, of course, uh, meant for uh, shorter subjects, very specific uh, topics, or uh, sometimes we just kind of cover some other game because we're, you know, interested and want to talk about something other than the world of darkness. And as well, sometimes it's uh, uh, here for, you know, listener-submitted content. But tonight, Chig, we're going to be talking about something that has been requested since the very beginning of Darker Days Radio. And that's talking about Ravenloft, isn't it? That is our subject for the evening. It is. So, Chig... Let's let's get it all out on the table. What's your Ravenloft experience? Um, I have played in Ravenloft uh, in AD and D Second Edition. I own the Sword and Sorcery uh, for, uh, Third Edition campaign setting, and that's pretty much it. All right, fair enough. Yes, Ravenloft stands as the only D and only official D and D campaign setting that I've ever run, and it's also the only uh, the only module I ever ran was a Ravenloft module. So uh, it definitely gets high praise from me uh, in many respects, and uh, I've definitely had a lot of fun with it. So uh, with that, let's just kind of jump right into it and talk about Ravenloft and really what it is. So of course. Uh, it was an AD&D 2nd edition campaign setting uh, published by TSR. It's focusing on gothic horror, adventure, and uh, dark fantasy. But it actually has its origins in an earlier module and written by um, Tracy and Laura Hickman, uh, who are, of course, known for not only Ravenloft, but the Dragonlance uh, campaign setting. Well, that was primarily Tracy. Yes, yes, primarily Tracy. But Laura, Laura did write uh, quite a bit of the or helped out a lot with the modules uh, back in the day. You know, just to give you, like, a kind of basic feel for what Ravenloft is, you know, compared to other advanced Dungeons & Dragons campaign settings that were out at the time, um, on the Mirage Arcana podcast, uh, Adrian Stagg once said that, uh, Greyhawk is about where you go, Forgotten Realms is about who you meet, and then Dragonlance is about what you do. And I would also argue that if you want to throw Ravenloft into that analogy and kind of comparison, uh, that Ravenloft is about who you fight and who you save. Do you agree with that, Chig? I, I could go with that, or how you screwed up. Uh, yeah, that could happen too. That could definitely happen. <laughs> so, let's just kind of talk about the history of Ravenloft, uh, just to, you know kind of give people a feel for how it started and how it kind of evolved over time. So way back in 1983, uh, TSR released a module called I-6 Ravenloft, and of course written by Laura and Tracy Hickman. And this was essentially just a uh, dungeon crawl module uh, with a lot of gothic trappings and a few other interesting uh, features. Uh, for example, the module would be different every single time because there is a... Uh, a fortune-telling scene where, using a deck of cards, you'd be able to determine the uh, uh, precise location of certain items and also certain motivations. So, with that, uh, it really was a very, very highly praised and well-accepted module. Uh, it's been 
of course, lauded for its uh, sweet isometric maps, and really uh, a lot of people had a lot of fun with this with this module, especially because it was you know perfect for like a Halloween night. Uh, of course, uh, riding along on that success came another module, uh, which was called Module I-10, Ravenloft 2, The House on Griffin Hill. This was kind of following in the same vein, and uh, they decided to actually reuse the antagonist. Uh, of course, Ravenloft is the uh, referring to Castle Ravenloft, and it's uh, Dark Lord Strahd von Zarovich. And they decided for Ravenloft 2 to bring back Strahd. And they, they, of course, had to put some, like, I don't know, comic book sort of explanations in there for how he's still alive. And, uh, well, sure, you killed him in the first one, right? Yeah. You drove that sun sword right into his undead heart. Spoiler yeah. alert, he's a vampire. Well, he is a vampire. But there's all these weird things in there. It's like this almost... So he's a vampire, but there's also this like sort of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde story going on, and there's an evil lich hiding in someone's basement, and it's really just an unintelligible cluster fun. Oh, come on, who amongst us doesn't have an evil lich hiding in their basement? Uh, <laughs> well, in Ravenloft, you never know. But uh, yes, uh, Ravenloft 2, House on Griffin Hill, uh, while it was uh, originally being written by Tracy and, and Laura Hickman, uh, it was actually... Uh, Trace Hickman left TSR uh, in the middle of writing it, and they brought on four more writers for this project, so six writers total, and, um, you know, it, it really just got pretty messy. Um, there's, for, for a 48-page module, there's something like 30 different monsters in it just thrown in all over the place. There's these dungeon crawl elements, but it's not a dungeon, it's just taking place in a village of uh, Mordenshire, and they just... Put in a lot of ridiculous stuff, and it seems like there's a lot of clashing, I feel, with the uh, the design team on that one. Uh, so, House on Griffin Hill, of course, it's not as well-received, but, uh, you know, still uh, an interesting footnote in the Ravenloft uh, product line. Well, it, it does have a, uh, a fun little uh, object in it that lets the, the bad guy body swap. That was a, a neat innovation to the storyline. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, interesting mechanics. Just overall, was not a uh, oh, no, very no, no, no. well written. Wasn't, wasn't very good. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, compared to the first, I'm sure there there are plenty worse D and D modules out there. Hmm. Indeed. Indeed. So uh, after this, I guess I really know the origins of it. But TSR sat down and said, "We need to make some more campaign settings. We just need to publish a lot of these because that'll be great for our product line." And in 1990, they came out with the Ravenloft box set. Um, and this is a you know new setting, basically, for Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. But instead of being you know a specific new world like uh, you know Forgotten Realms or Dragonlance is, uh, it's actually this sort of... It's another plane of existence, essentially. It's the Domains of Dread. And uh, what, what happens with Domains of Dread is that they can take you know, parties of adventurers or evil beings from all these different Dungeons & Dragons worlds and draw them in to this sort of this prison realm, almost, uh, if that's truly what it is. What happens is, you know, they get drawn in, and at this point in the in the game, basically, um, 
it's kind of it kind of gives your players this uh, weekend in hell essentially where you know they end up uh, you know maybe they're adventuring and they save the uh, uh, the barons forest from the ants or something evil ants tree ants and after that you know, they're just kind of walking along and then boom they're hit by the mists the mists draw them in and then they're in the forest realm of Sithicus where they have to face off with an evil being maybe Lord Soth himself who is actually a Dragonlance character originally and after they defeat Lord Soth or solve the problem or what have you they end up back in their original homeworld uh, and really it's just this uh, way to have sort of a, a gothic twist to the um, adventures of the characters uh, so I, I, I disagree with your, your summary there at the end. I was with you right up there until the end, right up until they go home. There's no escape from Ravenloft. Once you're there, you're there. Right. So that's that's one of the uh, primary issues we have at this point. It's that uh, canonically, and I think even says this in the original box set, uh, you're not supposed to be able to escape Ravenloft. However, there's a number of uh, modules where you are able to escape uh i believe the end of the grand conjunction which is not the evil eye i can't remember which adventure it is uh you're able to escape at uh the end of dark roses bloom the uh, Sithicus adventure with lord soth uh you're able to walk through a portal and escape from ravenloft so there's a number of ways to allow your characters if you or as a as a dungeon master to allow them to go back to their home world if you'd like kind of Th those are two very 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 specific things and like i said canonically it has had uh, there's been an escape from ravenloft two times one of them was lord soth who escaped in the uh, series that you mentioned and uh the other one was uh vecna i believe yeah and he was a he's a freaking demigod so indeed yeah, yeah. of course he can make his way out <laughs> right but, but if your character is not a demigod or following someone with that level of power out, then you're kind of stuck there. And that's part of the, uh, the allure of the setting, is that you are the only hope in a hopeless world. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's definitely true. And I kind of feel that uh, one of the definitely inspirations they're looking at with this early version of the, uh, the Ravenloft setting uh, was like the old Universal Monsters and those horror movies like, uh, you know, uh, Wolfman versus Frankenstein and that sort of thing and uh, The Mummy Returns and all that. Uh, looking at those kinds of films, you know, the old black and whites, because there's a lot of these adventures where the heroes go in and they defeat the Dark Lord, but, you know, you could also easily throw in, I think they recommend this in many cases, you know, that, that scene at the very end where the hand comes up from the pile of rubble and you know he's still there and, and that sort of thing so it's uh definitely draws a lot of inspiration from that but there's also some very interesting uh setting that's been put in and they have uh very very well detailed genealogies throughout the uh core realms of ravenloft the core domains and uh really kind of give you a, a good feel for how your player characters if you want them to be natives are able to uh really kind of become uh, involved in the uh, the internal politics of the region. Sure. Uh, so after this, of course, uh, I mentioned something called the Grand Conjunction, and uh, there was a later 1994 uh, Realms of Terror Ravenloft box set. And essentially what they did was 
they looked at the uh, Ravenloft as it was originally published, and they saw that there was some stuff they didn't like or was not well received, and uh, they put out a series of modules um, detailing kind of a realms-shaking event, uh, and advancing the metaplot of the setting as well, where uh, the I believe it was the Lich Azalin was attempting to uh, uh, accelerate the use of some old prophecy to destroy the realms of Ravenloft and get back to his, his home world, basically. And yep. uh, through this, uh, they somewhat succeeded because they broke apart the realms of Ravenloft. Uh, they moved around and shuffled some of the uh, domains in different regions. And they also, uh, some of them were completely plucked out of the uh, the core domains themselves. Uh, and in fact, there's this thing called the Shadow Rift now, just this this boiling region canyon chasm of mist running straight in the middle of the uh the primary setting of the game so a lot of funky stuff now the uh realms that were removed so it never it never goes into any detail about what happened to those uh it does like some of them one of them uh markovia for example which is the sort of island of dr moreau domain that one actually just ends up as a, an island in in the sea of sorrows i believe uh i can actually check the map right here uh yep markovia is in the sea of sorrows hey called it so yeah a few of them move like that uh other ones like uh Blutspur, which is the kind of blasted ravenlaw uh sorry blasted lovecraftian domain uh that one seems to vanish uh, it's somewhere out there in the mists, and of course there's some rumors that it might now be the moon that's passing over the realms of Ravenloft. Ooh. So yes, it is somewhat covered uh, what happens to those. So following that, of course, um, you know, the, the 1994 box that was kind of like this transition period, um, and it's when they come out with the hardback for uh, for Ravenloft called the Domains of Dread, that we really have the full transition of Ravenloft to kind of like this this hammer horror setting, I'd say, uh, where there's a lot of um, you know bright colors and this this sort of uh, you know brooding monsters kind of in the backgrounds that the uh, heroes need to to challenge. A bit bit more of a I'd say maturation of the setting. And at this point, the idea of outsider characters coming from say Greyhawk or Dark Sun and adventuring in Ravenloft kind of falls to the wayside. Uh, it's still definitely an option. There's uh, clearly some uh, easy ways to, to work that in with them being grabbed out of the mists. But now the setting focuses more on these native characters, uh, people that were born in the Domains of Dread and become adventurers to uh, maybe look for fortune, but also just to help the people around them. And that's a really big change, I feel, for the setting. That It was a huge, huge change in tone, if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. You're no longer these heroes of some other realm that got dragged in. Now you're you're fighting for your family and your friends. Yes, precisely. I think uh, the film scene that best reflects Ravenloft at this time is the uh, beginning of the uh, Fury of Dracula, where uh, it kind of starts off like the regular Dracula movie, where Jonathan Harker shows up uh, to Dracula's castle, you know, as a lawyer, and he's gonna you know, do his business or whatever. But then there's, like, this inter internal uh, monologue of him writing some stuff down, like, I think in a journal. And he's sitting there, and he's like, so I'm here, you know, to do this business. And that business is to kill Dracula. 
So he's this native character to the world who knows what he's doing, knows exactly what he's doing, and that's fighting against the uh, Dark Lords and evil powers around him. So following that, of course, uh, TSR exploded and Wizard of the Coast took over, and they actually sold off or uh, licensed the uh, Ravenloft campaign setting with uh, another company, and that, of course, was White Wolf. So here's the uh, World of Darkness connection. And uh, White Wolf, through their Sword and Sorcery and Art House imprint, released a uh, third edition campaign setting uh, in, in hardback. And this is awesome. This is probably the uh, edition that I go to the most uh, for everything with Ravenloft. And it's definitely um, a change in tone yet again. Uh, it's not too far of a leap from the uh, kind of hammer horror feel of Domains of Dread, but there's definitely a very strong uh, gothic feel, very traditional literary gothic feel. Uh, in fact, the first chapter of that book talks about the gothic literary tradition uh, in extensive detail, uh, talking about how it's really about the uh, the lone hero going against the Dark Lord and facing many challenges, say, as they're ascending like the, uh, the Dark Castle and that sort of thing. So it's really a, a very interesting... Uh, new take uh, on the Ravenloft campaign setting, and uh, I, again, feel that it's definitely the strongest uh, book available for Ravenloft at this time. I agree. Awesome. I, the, uh, the Ravenloft campaign setting from Sword and Sorcery is far and away the best representation of the, uh, the Ravenloft idea. Indeed. Um... Ravenloft, of course, has a... Uh, the history of Ravenloft slows down from there. Uh, 2003 has a 3.5 edition kind of re-release called the Ravenloft Player's Handbook. Uh, it's not as good. It's a lot of the same material, but there's kind of some dumb rules editions that uh, are not high, very highly regarded uh, by the, the Ravenloft fan community. Uh, 2010 was supposed to be the year where a fourth edition version of Ravenloft was going to be released, but it was unfortunately shelved and, and never came about. Well, you say unfortunate. I'm, well, I'm not too sure that was a, a missed opportunity. Perhaps, perhaps not. But, Chig, one of the interesting things about uh, the 4E Ravenloft is that it's supposed to not only have D&D &D rules, but also have its own proprietary rules, uh, kind of a simpler system for more streamlined Gothic games. And I was very interested to see what they were going to do with that. I wasn't so interested about the 4th edition rules, because I never even bought any 4th edition books. But I think it could have been kind of kind of neat to check out. Uh, since then, for 4th edition, there was some Ravenloft material. For example, there were some D&D uh, &D Insider articles regarding the Vistani. Uh, and some other of these Shadowfell domains that came out, which was kind of like this 4th edition Ravenloft wannabe thing. Um, <clears throat> the only other thing of note, I feel, is that in... 2011, they had a Castle Ravenloft board game come out, which is probably the uh, best iteration of 4th edition ever. Um, but it's not really that much of a Ravenloft game, because uh, it, it is a dungeon crawl in gothic trappings, just like the original um, Ravenloft I-6 module was. I've heard that it is a very fun board game, if you enjoy board games, and I would like to try it at some point. Yep, I, I own a copy, and yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, there's a little couple strange things in there like there's kobolds in castle ravenloft which uh that there shouldn't be doesn't really fit but no they're supposed okay. to be just a lot of undead all the other creatures pretty much fit but i don't know why they have the kobolds even the kobold boss just hanging around i don't know why strahd would even 
you know, hang out with them. It doesn't really make any sense to me. But, um, yeah, so that that's really Ravenloft's uh, history in a nutshell. Um, the other thing to kind of note is that all the while that Ravenloft's been out, there's been a really strong fan community that have really gone out and helped a lot with, uh, you know, coming up with their own material and enhancing and kind of interviewing uh, writers about the existing material that there is. So uh, they, they've done a lot of uh, good work over at the Fraternity of Shadows with the, uh, those guys. And before that, there was actually this group called the Cargatane, uh, who released a bunch of things like the Dead Sea Scrolls. and Or no, no, no. Is it the Undead Sea Scrolls? I can't remember the name of it, but I'll uh, definitely... I'm sure they'll, the they'll contact us and email and let us know. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So that is pretty much Ravenloft in a nutshell. Uh, one interesting tangent to bring up is that there was a uh, sort of uh, side game for Ravenloft, kind of an extended campaign setting, which is this thing called uh, Mask of the Red Death and uh, the Gothic Earth. So that is a uh, Victorian campaign setting. Like it is actually our Victorian world, except they make right. the assumptions that most of these pulp characters like Dracula... Um, Spring-Heeled Jack and the like actually exist. So uh, there's a lot of opportunities for adventuring in like Victorian England or Victorian Transylvania uh, with D&D rules basically fighting off uh, different different things. Right, so if you wanted to have a, a level 8 cowboy character fighting uh, Dorian Gray in 2nd edition AD&D, this was your go-to. It was, it was. So, um, I really don't know much about that, unfortunately, so maybe that's something to look into, uh, for the future. All right, we can, we can talk about that at some future point. Maybe. I remember it being very strange. Yeah, yeah, I've heard the same thing. Cool, so, here we go, we've got Ravenloft, and as I mentioned before, it's, it's kind of about, you know, who you're fighting, and also who you're trying to save. So before we actually really get into the setting, I feel it's important to talk about the characters themselves. So Ravenloft is a you know a gothic horror world. Um, there's a lot of a lot of dangers out there, but it's actually fairly low magic. So uh, the player characters themselves really stand out amongst the populace. There's a lot of peasants who really um, can't fend for themselves or can hardly fend for themselves. So uh, it's interesting to look at, you know, the player characters as, you know, fighters, uh, magic users and the like as really these legendary or, or definitely above average characters at the very least. But Ravenloft also highlights a lot of problems uh, with the, the D&D system as a story game. Uh, for example, Ravenloft, or sorry, D&D uh, uh, characters really just don't have much background to them. You really have to sit down and discuss with your, your players around you like, what are, the, what are the fears of these characters? What's their motivations? And that sort of thing. Because that's extremely important for Ravenloft uh, that these, these characters, especially the native characters, not the outsiders, but the ones who, who have lived in this domain of dread for their entire existence, uh, really need to uh, figure out uh, who they're fighting for and, and stuff like that. Well, sure. And until, until we got to Ravenloft, the general idea for a character background was... I went to Fiverr College, and now I go and kill things in their underground homes for treasure. That's that's all you needed for character background. 
Yeah, absolutely. There was no need for anything deeper than that. There was no, well, I have to go save my town because the guy who is the king of the area is a complete douchebag. Yeah, absolutely. And while Ravenloft doesn't have a lot of uh, mechanical systems or even really uh, really many written systems or suggestions to, to really enhance this, uh, I feel that they did a very good job of introducing characters, uh, you know, NPCs and the like, that could serve as kind of inspiration and guidance uh, for what the player characters should kind of be like. Uh, of course, the primary example is uh, Dr. Rudolf von Richten. He's kind of a Van Helsing character uh, himself, but he's, he's this uh, noble whose son uh, was stolen by a vampire. And he has to go through a uh, arduous journey uh, to try to save his son. Uh, eventually fails. Uh, makes many enemies with the uh, Vistani. And really kind of becomes a, a de facto monster hunter. But he's not really a warrior himself. Uh, most people in the uh, Fraternity of Shadows community, when they're discussing him in 3rd edition, really look at him as an expert character class. Uh, which basically means he's just a dude with a whole bunch of skill points. Uh, he doesn't have he really totally magical powers. He's... He might have a few, you know, magic items and artifacts there that he's collected over the years that kind of give him a, an edge. But really, he is a normal guy in many ways who's just trying to uh, fight the good fight. And, which is uh, fine, which is great for the for the setting. Yeah, but, uh, maybe not so great if that's a character that you would like to play. Right, because right, right. The NPC classes are not. Are not fun to play as a character. No, no, probably not. Not too many uh, character class features uh, included for them. But they kind of kept this up with the, uh, of course, the Weathermay twins, who are uh, kind of the successors to Dr. Von Richten. Uh, and they themselves are mostly experts with, uh, I, think, uh, I think one of them has a couple levels in fighter and that sort of thing. But they uh, kind of highlight the... Uh, the dangers of being a, a monster hunter uh, in that they frequently screw up early on in their career and uh, can't really fight their way out of many of these battles. So have to rely on others, of course, to, uh, to save them. So those are the kind of, you know, example characters that we have uh, for the players. There are, of course, many other NPCs, but uh, I don't really remember a lot of them off the top of my head. So that's the heroes we have. They're... Uh, really supposed to be flawed characters that are fighting for something. They really need that motivation, I feel, especially if they're the native characters to Ravenloft. And then who are the villains? Well, as mentioned before, Ravenloft is this sort of prison realm, uh, if that's truly what it is, where these beings of great evil are grabbed from other domains of existence uh, for example, I mentioned before Lord Soth, who came from uh, the Dragonlance setting. Another one is Azalyn Rex, uh, who's a lich from uh, Oerth. And these these beings are stolen from these other worlds because they've done something, some horrible crime. And they're brought to this place, and they're essentially tortured. They uh, cannot, they typically cannot die, or the dark powers of this realm uh, make it very difficult for others to defeat them they are trapped within the borders of their domain and are essentially oppressed and uh, kind of tantalized by what they truly desire. So, not the, the Dark Lords are not always the uh, 
beings that the player character is going to be going up against. Uh, that was a common feature in many of the early modules uh, that the player characters roll in, beat the Dark Lord, and then escape from the domain somehow. So uh, it's important to note that uh, as the game line went on, they brought in a lot more of these kind of lesser evils for you to fight. They're still uh, great challenges, but the Dark Lords themselves became more of these... Uh, uh, kind of dark figures that are kind of lording over the domain that you really can't touch, at least not early on. As well it should be. They they should be the uh, the great red dragon under the mountain that you don't get to until the very end of your campaign. Yep, and even, and even then... Even, even then, there's no guarantee that you're going to have any effect on, on them or their machinations. Yes, indeed. I think that... Uh, uh, Dark Lords, in many ways, if you're going to represent them in your game, need to be more plot devices than anything else. Uh, dealing with, uh, for example, Strahd von Zarovich, the vampire of uh, Barovia, uh, he is essentially undefeatable. I mean, he's been there for hundreds of years, basically plotting not only to uh, expand his power base, but uh, he's got a lot of fail-safes to escape. Canonically, in the setting, there's been a number of attempts uh, to defeat him in the past, so he's definitely learned lessons from that. Uh, but he really just needs to be this this great presence that when he enters a scene, for example, if your characters directly deal with him, uh, he's almost kind of a Mary Sue in a lot of ways, and he's going to get what he wants, because really the dark powers of this realm will give him what he wants unless, unless you know, it's uh, regarding his, his uh, overall curse. His uh, poor lost love. Yes, indeed. So, why don't we why don't we talk about a couple of these evil villains just to kind of highlight what the uh, the player characters might be facing? Uh, so, yeah, let's start off with Strahd. So, uh, Strahd, of course, is the as far as we know, he's the first Dark Lord. He's the first being to be brought into Ravenloft. Uh, sorry, into the domains of Dread with his uh, his castle Ravenloft in the land of Barovia. And all this poor little minions who work the fields they just kind of get stuck in there with him yeah yeah essentially so uh as it originally stood he was uh, a mortal man he uh his family's ancestral land of of castle ravenloft and barovia was uh taken over by the by the turgs and uh he and his his brothers uh and many of the retainers were displaced, uh, sent off to another land. But Strahd eventually came back with an army. He retook his homeland, and as he did so, as he defeated the enemy, uh, he found that uh, you know he'd, he'd grown old. He'd been fighting this war for 20 years, but uh, finally he'd won. And he was the lord of, of Castle Ravenloft once more. But uh, here he, of course... Uh, you know, invited his brothers back. The uh, the middle brother uh, did not return, uh, but his youngest brother, uh, Sergei, came back uh, to Castle Ravenloft, and with him uh, was found this uh, this young, beautiful woman, Tatiana, and Strahd fa uh, fell instantly in love with her. But of course, she was uh, quite taken with Sergei, and they were uh, supposed to be wed. Uh, Strahd, of course, you know, tried to. Uh, win this girl over, uh, pretty much failed, and uh, in a moment of desperation, made a dark pact with a with a being. Uh, at this time, he thought it was death. And uh, death 
said that he would uh, give Strahd the power to take back this woman. And uh, essentially, he became a vampire by making that pact. Uh, at, this, at this wedding night where Strahd planned to uh, win Tatiana over, uh, a trap was sprung, and the uh, uh, few of his, uh, his guards betrayed him, essentially, and fired crossbow bolts into him. But he still lived because he was a vampire. Uh, uh, Sergei, of course, uh, was killed. Uh, Strahd went to Tatiana and uh, professed his love and offered to, uh, you know, accept her. Uh, Tatiana, of course, was horrified by what what was before her, and she flung herself down to the the misty chasm below uh, Castle Ravenloft. And it was at that moment that the mist came up and drew... Ravenloft into the domains of dread. So remember, kids, those strange, dark voice from the mist tells you that it can give you everything you ever wanted. All you have to give it is your soul. Don't believe it. It's a lie. Indeed. Uh, and it seems like it was a pretty bad deal for Strahd, because while, of course, he was a sweet, omnipotent vampire at this point, um, this new realm that he was stuck in tortured him. Uh, Every generation, a new woman would be born uh, with the same likeness of Tatiana. Uh, Stroud would, of course, try to uh, court her, but he was now a vampire. A few times he succeeded and, uh, uh, well, essentially embraced this, uh, this woman, and they turned into hideous, hideous vampires that he could no longer love. But then, every once in a while, a new one would surface uh, that Stroud would catch wind of, and he tried to uh, uh, court this woman, uh, once more. So that's uh, the unfortunate history of Strahd, where uh, he keeps making the same mistakes over and over again, uh, caring nothing for others and just focusing on this young woman before him. Uh, with no regard for what that woman desires, he only cares for himself. So that's sort of his tortured state itself. And of course, his history is ripped straight from the headlines of the. Uh... Uh, Vlad Tepish, the uh, act, the original inspiration for Dracula, the uh, yep. whole his kingdom was taken over by the uh, the Turks, the Ottomans, and uh, he had to lead an army to uh, restore it. And one of his brothers did not return. Stuff like that, taken from real life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you'll notice that many of the uh, early material for Ravenloft is very thinly veiled stuff. It was just essentially taken from other media. Very thinly veiled. Um, Now, of course, uh, mentioning mentioning a very thinly veiled uh, individual, we, of course, uh, another Dark Lord is uh, Vlad Drakov, who is... uh, He's Hitler. That is exactly what he is. Uh, No, he's he's a kind and loving soul. Actually, you know, he's more, he might be more of a Stalin. You can go kind of back and forth. He's a horrible fascist, basically. Uh, his uh, realm of uh, Falkovnia, uh, it, its peasants are horribly oppressed. Uh, they basically just toil uh, to feed the... Maybe it's North Korea. The peasants just toil to uh, feed his army, which he then throws at some of the... Uh, every every hundred years, or, or sorry, every, every ten years, let's say, he'll assemble an army and throw it at one of the... Uh, uh, nearby realms and, and try to attack them. But his, uh, despite how much he plans and how much of a uh, great military uh, 
tactician he is, uh, his plans always fail and his armies seem to lose. That's really his curse itself, is that he's doomed to fail because of his own uh, pride and, and, well, general horribleness. Um, so many times he's tried to attack the uh, nearby domain of Darkon, uh, and just as he gets to the border with his army, a uh, undead force will just arise uh, and slay all of his uh, his mortal troops. All he wants to do is rule the world. That's all. Is he not asking for so much? You know, rule it in an iron fist. Why, why I don't see. I don't see why this is so bad. He doesn't seem like that bad a guy. Except uh, for the whole torture and murder and ruling the world and endless evil thing. Aside from all that. He's a pretty horrible person. Okay, um, yes, he's a pretty horrible guy. So, indeed, that's another uh, Dark Lord that uh, people may have uh, dealings with. Because, of course, he's he's more of a moral, really. Uh, he's lived for a very long time, but uh, he's he's just like a level 10 fighter. So... Uh, it's very easy for characters, if they were for some reason in Falcopnia, which is usually a bad idea, they could uh, definitely approach and deal with him. Uh, but on the other side of the coin is uh, Sir Tristan Hiregard. Uh He's a, a nobleman from the domain of Nova Vasa. He's definitely not in charge of the, uh, of the domain, which is a bit different. Uh, many times you'll find that um, these Dark Lords are actually literally in control of the domain they are the king or they are the uh, noble ruler uh in some way but sir tristan's just a nobleman and in fact he's not a bad guy um they list his alignment as a lawful neutral he's uh very fair to his subjects and very concerned about uh keeping law and order uh in his uh small area of this very large domain he's a good guy he's a decent fellow he is except but, for that whole uh you know Mr. Hyde to his Dr. Jekyll. Indeed. Uh, he is unfortunately cursed. Uh, there is something stuck in his, his mind, body, or, or soul. Um, and this being will come out when he goes to sleep. And it does horrible things. It has its own uh, sort of criminal syndicate throughout the land. Um, it has its own tiger pets that it uh, tortures people with. It... <laughs> spreads uh drugs and and other vices throughout the land and uh, keeps many people many of the poor that uh, sir tristan fights so hard to uh defend uh crushed beneath his boot and uh enslaved to his his whims so that's the unfortunate thing about uh sir tristan Hiregard. he's not a an individual or a dark lord that is is easily dealt with because well this this man himself is is actually very good, and to kill the Dark Lord, you'd have to kill him. Well, not even them. The Dark Lord was originally um, his father's curse, and it passed to him. Indeed, indeed, and uh, actually, canonically in the setting, Sir Tristan now has a son. Dun, dun, dun. Pretty much. So that's a couple of uh, Dark Lords right there, but what about uh, some some villains that are not Dark Lords? Well, in uh, this character actually came up in the uh, the late run of the TSR's Ravenloft, but uh, they actually kept him on board for uh, a bunch of the Ravenloft gazetteers, and that's the Gentleman Caller. Uh, this is an infernal being that 
uh, seems to have some sort of plan. He's been going around through all these different domains uh, all across the core of, of Ravenloft. And uh, throughout here, he, he finds a Vistani woman and, um, well, uh, has sex with her. And from that uh, unholy coupling, a uh, usually an evil offspring is born. Uh, in one case, it's actually a feral beast that's uh, running across the countryside. Uh, another time, it's just this uh, dark individual who's hell-bent on, well, kind of world domination. He's not Vlad Dracov, but he's, uh, you know, similar uh, similar aspects to, uh, to that character as well. Uh, so this character's been going around, and no one really knows what his uh, objectives are. Uh, there's, of course, a... Um, and Trig, you'll have to remind me of, of what these guys are called. What are the angel-like beings called in uh, in Dungeons and Dragons? Do you remember? The Azimir. Yes, yes, the Azimir. Yes, uh, there is an Azimir character who uh, is also in Ravenloft, traveling around with this uh, carnival, and he seems to be uh, chasing after uh, the gentleman caller, and uh, only he would perhaps know what this uh, dark being's intent is. She. Oh, she. Oh, it's a chick. My bad. Yeah. Sorry, man. <laughs> I don't have the uh, Carnival supplement. Uh, I do have the novel, though, um, Carnival of Fear, but I've not read it. So I have that one. I read that when it came out decades ago. Carnival. Sorry, I'm stuck in the past. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think that's uh, that's a lot of the characters right there. Are there any other uh, villains that uh, you think should be mentioned, Chig? Well, we already mentioned. Uh... Aslan, who, in addition to uh, trying to bring about a prophecy, uh, totally made the undead a, a playable race in AD&D. That was fun. Yeah, he kind of messed up. Um, Aslan's an interesting character because he, he his, his basic deal is that he just wants to get the hell out of here. Uh, he's he a, wants he's to a go way. back to ruling his kingdom in Greyhawk. That's all he really wants. Kind of, but also, he... also, you know, all the knowledge and to become one with death. Yes, uh, yeah, Aslan has a lot of weird things going on. Uh, he, of course, yeah, he wants to go back to his realm in Greyhawk, but he was actually just to, uh, deposed there before he came to Ravenloft, so he wants to go back, uh, kill everyone there, and then take it back. Um, but Aslan's uh, realm of, of Darkon's a really vast place, and uh, Aslan himself, as a ruler, uh, doesn't make many public appearances. He's mostly just a uh, kind of a figurehead at the uh, top of the state, uh, and in place to uh, to rule this this land is a, a very complex bureaucracy with its own uh, secret police that uh, the Cargatane, which really keep people in check. Um, and if you uh, don't agree with the policies or something like that, there's a good chance you'll disappear. So there's a lot of uh, uh, police state. Uh, aspects to Darkon, but it's also a very, uh, uh, it's one of the more progressive domains overall, I'd say. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of elves, a lot of dwarves there, which is, uh, very different than most of the domains. Uh, the domains of Dread are 99% human. Uh, very few of the, uh, the demi-humans exist there, so it's a lot different in those ways. And, uh, Aslan himself is a lich and has made Darkon very, uh, progressive when it comes to magic. Um, which also is very interesting. But Aslan himself uh, is notable because 
despite being English, despite being someone who uh, studies, practices magic quite a bit, he himself can no longer learn new magic. Um, I believe, canonically, he can learn up to level 8 spells, but he can't get those level 9s. Uh, yeah, it's almost, it's almost like there's an ironic twist to his punishment. Yes, indeed. Uh, so as such, uh, Aslan studies, uh, you know, the, the metaphysics of demiplanes quite a bit and has really, he's the only Dark Lord that, that has actually realized that he is stuck in this domain of dread. And he's the one who's actively uh, trying to find ways to uh, escape. And because of that, he's uh, caused a lot of trouble in the domains of dread, uh, whether it be the uh, kind of helping urge along the uh, the Grand Conjunction or uh, the uh, the Requiem event, which caused, created a giant necropolis domain, uh, a land of the dead, right in the middle of Darkon. Uh, that was a bit of a mistake. Wow. Uh, and also, fun fact about that necropolis, if you uh, cross the border into that, you yourself turn into an undead creature. Um, full stop, no saving throw. But then you get to be a zombie fighter. As opposed to before when you were a zombie fighter. Yeah. It's super fun. <laughs> I promise. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think that's uh, about all we need to say about the various uh, villains, whether they be Dark Lords or just some random douchebag. So, why is Ravenloft cool? I mean, we've already kind of given you a taste for uh, what kind of different characters are, uh, kind of given you... Uh, feel for some of the different themes and that sort of thing, but why is Ravenloft itself a very interesting uh, setting, and what kind of like design features kind of make it unique? Um, and while it's still built off of the basic AD&D system, uh, and then later 3rd edition system, uh, there's some interesting uh, kind of things that have, have come about uh, from how the world itself is set up. So, as I mentioned, I keep alluding to these things called domains, uh, which are themselves the kind of individual lands and fiefdoms of these different Dark Lords. But the way it works is uh, that each domain is unique. So you might have, for example, in very early Ravenloft, you had Barovia, which is uh, Count Strahd's domain, which is the sort of Eastern European Transylvania realm. Uh, pretty kind of, kind of stereotypical in that way. But right next to it, they had, for example, Blutspur, which is this blasted land, this, uh, you know, kind of uh, chasms and uh, uh, spires rising out of the ground and these very complex caverns and tunnels underneath the ground. Indeed, you could have uh, both this, this land of Barovia and Blutspur right next to each other with really no uh, regard for ecology or anything like that. Um, and that's one of the interesting things about Ravenloft is its sort of modularity. You can take these different puzzle pieces of domains and just put them together as however you want. And I typically take advantage of that when I'm uh, looking at Ravenloft as, as a campaign setting and, and maybe designing a game. I like to kind of cherry pick which domains I want to use. You know, for example, I'm not very interested in this one domain of Vekker. Uh, Isan the Mad, the Dark Lord there, just doesn't really do anything for me. And there's very little material written about in the first place, so I doubt my uh, player characters would ever go there. So I'll just take that out. Well, that's that's the domain that you can make up yourself. You can make it whatever you want, because it's almost a blank slate. Yeah, but the Dark Lord sucks, so psh, it's out. 
Well, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of ways that you can just kind of, you know, move things around. Uh, the domains that I typically use uh, when I'm kind of designing my own thing is uh, I always use Barovia. That's the classic, and it's really just a very interesting setting to uh, stick the player characters in, uh, you know, with its culture of, of fear almost. Uh, I'll usually use uh, Darkon with uh, Azul and Rex. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, contrast to many other domains, so uh, I definitely like to use that one. I'm, of course, a big fan of Lord Soth, so Scythicus is usually an option. Scythicus is very interesting because it has a number of uh, elves in it, um, but they're definitely more feral elves that uh, really do not like the uh, the invading humans at all. Yeah, they're not the happy, flighty Tolkien elves. Indeed. Uh, I usually like to throw in Lamordia, which is kind of a uh, snowy realm where... Uh, sort of Frankenstein's monster exists. Uh, that's an interesting one to use, actually. Uh, I actually put it... Usually I put it in Darkon itself. Um, it's kind of, you know, governed by it as maybe a principality, uh, but it's actually a distinct domain itself uh, where, you know, a different Dark Lord rules in that case. Hmm. And then, of well, course... Like uh, I said, the Dark Lord isn't always the guy in charge. So. Yep, indeed, indeed. And then, of course, I like to uh, throw in uh, Vlad Drakov and the, uh, the domain of Falkovnia because it's uh, really just this this uh, bursting point for the setting in many ways that could uh, really uh, uh, change the dynamics for for player characters uh, on a global scale uh, with his you know aggressions and that sort of thing. But I might downplay his failures. Um, I might make it so that. He can make like win like perhaps small victories, but uh, when he's actually trying to like march on a capital or something, he always seems to fail. That sort of thing, which makes him a lot more dangerous uh, to the uh, people surrounding him. Yeah, I can see that. Like he he can't expand, but uh, he can totally win a couple of skirmishes here and there to make it look like he's going to. Yes, and that makes things uh, even more interesting for him as a character. He's not losing all the time. It's just. He gets so close, but he always seems to fail. So who's he going to blame? Himself? No, he's going to, you know, hang his uh, his tactical advisor, that sort of thing. It's that general over there. Yeah, he, it's that guy's fault. It's always him. Yep. So that's uh, kind of a bunch of the interesting features uh, with the domains themselves. Um, domains can originate in a couple of different ways. Uh, so as I mentioned, when Strahd made his dark deal and entered uh, the realms of Ravenloft, uh, he, both he, his castle, and uh, the surrounding village of Barovia were all drawn in. And that was really Ravenloft, or the Domains of Dread itself for the longest time. It was just this small area floating in the mists. And uh, as time went on, Barovia expanded, so the misty borders kind of receded back, and uh, Strahd found that there were other villages under his control that were paying him uh, homage and tribute, uh, paying their taxes and the like, uh, and were part of his domain. But where did these people come from? They definitely were not there originally. Were they created by the mists, or were they uh, are they something? Or were they people drawn from from other locations? Maybe uh, maybe the the boyer there in that in that place was a uh, a bad person himself and he and his village were drawn in for some reason uh, that's one of the great mysteries of Ravenloft itself so in a lot of uh, usually 
these domains are kind of just created, it seems. Uh, and it's really just the Dark Lord himself that's brought in. But other times, the, uh, the entire domain is, uh, is brought in from another location. For example, uh, uh, Odier, which is uh, taken from the Gothic Earth. Uh, and uh, it's sort of P- Pinocchio, Dark Lord. Uh, the entire yeah, village that... itself was brought to Ravenloft. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't created. It seems like they're all people that came from from a different place. So that's uh, another interesting fact. Well, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that the Dark Sun realm, at least everybody there, was taken from uh, Athos, along with the uh, the Dark Lord. So. That's pretty cool. I'm unfortunately not very familiar with that uh, domain, so I can't I can't speak about it. I'm not even sure where it was published originally. Uh, it's in the Forgotten Lore box set. Ooh, nice. And you can see the ruins of it in uh, the Dark Sun module, uh, Merchant House of Anketch. Nice. I like it. Oh, there you I go. Like it. So yeah, it left behind a, a horrible ruined city-state where it came from and it just continues thriving as it were in uh in the realm of dread indeed so uh as mentioned before there were some uh ravenloft kind of highlights some of the issues with uh, AD&D and also D&D third edition as uh story games uh and one feature one mechanic that they put in uh was was various checks to uh kind of guide how scenes are role-played. Those include fear, horror, and madness checks. So depending on what characters will encounter, they might just be fearful, scared, which has its own uh, mechanical uh, issues that will will come about, uh, minuses to uh, future checks and the like. Uh, So, of course, if some of the characters fail a fear check, they may be uh, sluggish or scared. And, uh, of course, uh, that will dictate how the players themselves will portray their characters uh, in particular scenes. Uh, Madness as well is, of course, uh, really just copied in many ways from uh, uh, from like Call of Cthulhu and that sort of thing. It's just a uh, check to see if your character has you know a momentary bout of, of craziness uh, and uh, it affects their role playing in that scene as well. But one of the interesting things is that uh, since Ravenloft itself, or sorry, the Domains of Dread are a a very dark place, um, there are these things called Dark Powers Checks. And this is uh, when a player character does something evil. Maybe they murder someone. Maybe they steal something. Perhaps they cast a necromantic spell. They have to roll a check to see if the Dark Powers of this realm notice. And if those dark powers notice, well, who knows what could happen? Uh, perhaps they would have, you know, a bout of madness, uh, where the uh, the powers just touch their mind for a split second, and uh, they see what this realm truly is, and their mind just can't handle it. Uh, maybe they'll find something more physical happens to them. Perhaps they'll uh, grow a patch of fur somewhere. Um, maybe they'll uh, run uh, into the mists and... Uh, find that they are communing with wolves or something like that. There's a lot of options that you can use with dark powers, and it really serves to enhance the uh, almost, I don't want to say hopelessness of the setting, but the dangers of the setting. 
that the uh, player characters have to face. And it kind of shows right. that... It, it, it kind of prevents uh, the standard murder humbo method of uh, AD&D uh, from becoming too prevalent. Oh, well, you know, we, we came across this village, and one of the guys is a werewolf, so we'll just kill them all and take all their stuff. Well, yeah, you, you can totally do that, um, but you'll be driven insane, and you'll become an NPC. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, usually for, for finding monsters and that sort of thing, uh, dark powers checks don't come into play, but there's a lot of, there's just people who are bad people. Maybe they're bandits or something like that. And definitely dark powers checks would come into play when uh, characters face off against them, uh, especially if the characters are the aggressors. And it's D&D, &D, so you can, you can pretty much assume that the characters are going to be aggressive. Indeed, indeed. Uh, another just thing to note about uh, design features that uh, Ravenloft, uh, it didn't introduce firearms, but firearms are definitely more prevalent than in other uh, campaign settings. And it kind of highlights just the, the weirdness of using guns in a D&D setting and how they don't really make much sense. And, uh, you know, a level 10 fighter can shrug off 100 bullets and that sort of thing. Well, a level 10 fighter can shrug off 100 slices from a broadsword, too, so... Yeah, those, those are more like paper cuts. <laughs> well, they're more like, you know, grazing blows as opposed to, you know, a full bore hole in your chest from a firearm. It's all it's all it's all on how you describe the hit points. Indeed, indeed. So there we go. That's some of the setting and design features. Uh Chick, is there anything specifically you'd like to talk about uh with the Ravenloft setting? Some of the cool characters, cool domains, uh well, one of the uh, the design features that isn't mentioned here is how it totally screws up all your magic. Oh, yeah. All of your magic. Oh, yeah. Whether you're a cleric or a wizard or a druid or anything, or a paladin, God forbid, uh, the magic, the, the dark powers in uh, Ravenloft do not like you to have the ability to escape. So anything that would help you get out of the realm is basically just forbidden. You can't learn it, or if you do learn it, you can't cast it successfully. And um, some of the creepier necromancy spells, hey, their powers are enhanced. They're they're super effective. Great. Go ahead. Turn to the dark side. Uh, it is, now that I say it like that, kind of a very uh, Star Wars uh, dark side of the force thing going on there where yeah, the, bad, the bad things are much easier to do than the good things. Absolutely. And of course when you do them you have to make a dark power check and see if you join the forces of the uh, the evil. Mm. Yeah, that's actually a really good point uh, Trig, that I completely forgot about. Uh, paladins are of course you know, holy defenders of good. They're, you know, kind of this cross between a fighter and a cleric. Uh, and they're always lawful good. So in Ravenloft... Uh, things don't like them, obviously. And in fact, the second a paladin walks into a domain, instantly the Dark Lord knows that there's a paladin there. They just get a ping, they get a feeling, they're like, oh, god damn it, not again. <laughs> uh, no. And as they uh, use more of their powers, of course, the Dark Lord can basically zero in on their location within, you know, five miles or something like that. So, uh... A Dark Lord might not instantly try to kill them. They might try to influence the the Paladin and his, his uh, adventuring company uh, to do certain things for him uh, and kind of use his own knowledge 
to his advantage, maybe sends that paladin the way of uh, some sort of rabble rouser that's giving him some trouble in the domain. Uh, of course, beings like Strahd or Aslund are more likely to uh, to kind of influence him in that way, as opposed to, I don't know, that uh, stupid were jaguar, Dark Lord. He might just try to kill him outright. Right, but it's always more fun to try to uh, to knock the the holy man off of his high horse. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And there's in fact a uh, there's a cluster of domains uh, containing Avonle and Nidala, where uh, paladins are featured very prevalently. Uh, really, the fall of paladins is is featured prevalently. Um, in Nidala specifically, the Dark Lord there. Uh, Elena Faithhold, I believe is her name, uh, she has for a number of years uh, been in charge of the domain and is protecting from this uh, vile red dragon and um, has been doing a great job of it. Uh, you know, occasionally a small village will be torched uh, and that's unfortunate for those that live there, but mostly uh, the dragon hasn't attacked any major cities or has really been sighted at all except for these you know, occasional small instances. And, of course, there's no survivors. The there's never ends. a survivor. No, Not no way. Uh, so she's done wonderfully, and uh, her citizens are mostly happy. There is no red dragon. No, no. There's, it's, yeah. it's all, it's I, I, think, I think people figure that it's out from what we were saying. <laughs> she has to stay in charge somehow, so she made up an Yeah, It's pretty clever of her. Yeah, it definitely is. Not, neither lawful nor good, but clever. <laughs> indeed indeed and actually i think this kind of brings up some of the uh flaws of some of the dark lords now that we've been discussing it a lot of them are kind of one trick ponies you know elena Faithhold. once you find out there's no red dragon what else are you going to do with her i mean that might lead to a, to a pretty interesting story but there is really just one story there uh other other domains like uh Verostikov, that's where uh, gregor zalznik rules uh and he has uh, he's a skin changer who's been uh, because people are starving in that domain, uh, he hunts people, you know, harvests their meat, and then um, both eats the human meat and then also feeds the uh, local populace with it. Uh, and it's really the only way they can find food at this point. So they're pretty much enthralled to his, uh, into this unknown cannibalism. Uh, well, is that really such an awful thing? I mean, if, if there was, you know, verdant farmland and herds of caribou wandering around then yeah just willful cannibalism that's not a good thing but if you're you know on a jet that crashes in the andes with your soccer team gotta do what you can yeah well the um the issue with uh, gregor is that he uh the issue with gregor is that he killed everyone he like killed all the nobles basically in the uh in the domain and pretty much just ruined it all because he's just uh kind of a crazy murderer and that's his that's his one trick pony right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that kind of highlights some of the issues uh which I think was part of uh as I mentioned before, uh there's this kind of universal monsters feel to some of the uh the earlier products, the earlier Ravenloft setting. And because of that, they didn't add a whole lot of depth to a lot of these dark lords. Um over the years they've expanded a bunch of them. Uh, Aslan of course has a lot of things going on. Uh Strahd uh, yeah, he's got some stuff going on, but he's mostly just kind of up in his castle, doesn't doesn't really want to bother with people. Pining away for his lost ones. Uh, a few oh. of the other ones in the area, like um, now I'm now I'm gonna be struggling for names. Um, 
uh, Jacqueline Renier from uh, Richemulo, uh she has a lot of things going on with her kind of uh, were-rat politics in, in that domain. Uh, so that definitely makes things interesting. And there's a lot of interplay, actually, in the uh, the Western portion of the core. The, the core, we've also alluded to many times here, is uh, really just a... It's basically a square domain. It's a square continent with seas on either side, and then the north and south are uh, just covered with mists. And you can't uh, you can't go around the continent itself without going through the mist somehow uh, to the different seas. So, uh, and if you sail into the mist, you sail out of the mist somewhere else. Yes, yes. Around. Which is, if you're uh, DMing Ravenloft, is a great way to get your character, your PCs, where you want them to be. Yes, if you have yes. a, if you have a nice plot, you know, set set up in Markovia, and they're like, "No, we're going to sail south from Gastria. See where we're going to wind up." Well, guess what? You wind up sailing into Markovia. Indeed, yeah. Um, essentially, the myths are just a plot device for storytellers and, and dungeon masters, which is very useful for getting people around and and uh, also blocking them in some ways. If you don't want them to run to the constabulary. 50 miles away and raising an army or something, you can just put mists around the village that they're stuck in so that they're forced to uh, solve the issues with uh, only what they have on hand. Right, which kind of uh, works really well in this setting, although some might call that railroading. Um, eh, maybe, maybe. It's, it's a little railroady, but... You're supposed to be playing the heroes, not the people who go and find the other heroes. Yeah. Which is, another, to... which is another feature of Ravenloft that puts it, in my opinion, above some of the other established TSR-era campaign settings, uh, like, uh, let's say, uh, Dragonlance. Why, why would you go out and save this village from the Red Dragon? Why would you not go get... Uh, uh, Caramon and Raceland to, to help you. They're, they're around. Yes, that's actually a very good point. So, yeah, when you look at, like, Dragonlance, um, Dragonlance has a lot of issues with it, where it's essentially... Because well, you have the novels realms. where they keep saving the world, it's like, well, what am I going to do as a player character? I'm going to go fight these Draconians? That's that's great, whatever. I'm going to go kill me some kobolds. Meanwhile, these guys are out there saving the world from fallen gods and this, that, and the other. And in Ravenloft, well, you're going to try to save the world, but you never really can. Uh, no one escapes from Ravenloft is really what goes on, especially in, in the later uh, portions of the setting. Um, in fact, in 3rd edition, well, they can't, <laughs> they couldn't legally talk about, you know, Faerun or any of these other settings. You literally were just stuck in Ravenloft. That was all Which there is, was. And that is kind of, that's, I imagine, one of the reasons that 3rd edition went more toward homegrown heroes. Well, that already started with Domains of Dread. So sure. we already kind of had that, but yeah. It started there, but it was it was the default in third in the the uh, sword and sorcery version. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I just had some really insightful point that I was going to make, but now I can't remember it. I apologize. I yeah. Know. We were talking about Dragonlance. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um when you look at Ravenloft, uh and this is this is kind of a flaw with how things are presented. I, mean, I don't really want to say a flaw, but we look at Ravenloft. We don't have that you know band of adventurers that everyone looks up to, like the Heroes of the Lance or uh, like the Harpers 
or Driss Duerden or something. Uh, Ravenloft, they didn't really fill in those heroes too much. You, of course, have people like uh, Dr. Rudolph von Richten. There's a few other NPCs like that. Uh, I think there's some crazy werewolf dude. Um, but but suffice it to say, there's, there's only a few of those, and it's really up to you as the players to fill in those characters. Uh, but when you look at a lot of the fiction and work that was put into Ravenloft, it was mostly focused on the villains, uh, particularly the fiction novels, which there were a lot of. Uh, and according to James Louder, apparently Ravenloft sold better as a fiction line than as a game line, which is really surprising, uh, especially the number of supplements and source books that were put out for it in uh, the TSR days. Well, it also had a ton of books. I mean, it's No Forgotten Realms, which had a thousand books, mm. uh, fiction books, but uh, it had a ton of uh, little novels set in it also. Yeah, Ravenloft had about 20 novels or so, and uh, I've read a good chunk of them, actually. And uh, just as a, a side note before I continue on that point, um, Ravenloft, the novel line, was very interesting because they hired a lot of budding horror novelists to write the books. They didn't just grab some, like, Joe down in accounting and other people at TSR to just write a couple, you know, fantasy novels, which usually didn't turn out well. Uh, there was a lot of really good uh, early novels in the uh, in the Ravenloft line, um, and you'll actually recognize a lot of these authors. Um, like uh, Christy Golden started; she was actually just getting into like novel writing and, and game design, so uh, she, she started off with the Ravenloft line. Uh, James Louder, as I mentioned, he was an editor for a lot of uh, horror fiction. He wrote some novels. Um, uh, Tanya Huff, who's written a bunch of uh, vampire novels, uh, like vampire genre novels. Um, P.N. Elrond, also written a bunch of uh, uh, vampire genre novels. Um, Laurel K. Laurel Hamilton. Hamilton. Uh, her novel for Ravenloft is horrible, horrible, well, horrible. That, you, you don't need to qualify her for Ravenloft in that. No, but uh, she also did one, and um, uh, Elaine Bergstrom is uh, pretty well known, so a lot of budding authors, which was really uh, very strong for the line, I feel, and, and really enhanced it. Uh, but to continue on the point, so a lot of these novels, they focus on the Dark Lords. The Dark Lords are the main kind of anti-hero character of these, of these novels, uh, whether they be, you know, Strahd von Zarovich or Aslan. Um, and I think that was kind of unfortunate for uh, the, the game line itself because it really put in the minds of people reading both the novels and the, and the setting material, they kind of made the Dark Lords the main characters. They wanted to make stories about the Dark Lords that the player characters themselves are kind of tangential to, looking at uh, how, they, how they could redeem this Dark Lord or you know this crazy plot that they're going to be doing. Uh, so it really wasn't about the characters in a lot of ways, which uh, I felt kind of, uh, kind of detracts. And uh, uh, Chig, you and I were actually talking about this maybe like a month or two ago. We are discussing Ravenloft and... Um, I was talking about how, like, you know, it'd be really cool if, like, it ended with, like, Strahd's redemption. And then you were just sitting there, you're like, no. You can't do that. That's not what Ravenloft's about. That's not what the themes are about. And you're right. It's all about the characters and how these people are really just the beacon of light. You know, the, uh, the candle against the darkness. I am pretty deep sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it would be really cool if it was a story of redemption, but it's not. It's a horror story. There, There is no happy ending for the bad guy in a horror story. Otherwise, it's not a horror story. Hmm. 
Yep, absolutely. So that's so, yes, really... Strahd will never he will neither gain his love nor stop searching for her. Aslan will never uh, overcome his curse or escape. They're all just kind of perpetually uh, their development has been arrested. Yeah, it's interesting. And uh, we kind of mentioned that only two people have escaped canonically from Ravenloft, and that's um, uh, Lord Soth and, and Vecna. And the whole Vecna plot was ridiculous and was really just meant to herald in uh, the third edition of um, of Dungeons and Dragons back in like year 2000. So let's just ignore that. But the Lord Soth story is interesting because essentially what happened with him was that he got bored, Lord Soth himself, and the Dark Powers got bored with him. He was just sitting there in his castle every night. You know, the Banshees were taunting him, as they do. And he's just like, yeah, okay, that's what I did. That's who I am. He learned his lesson. He didn't he really learn his lesson, though. He kind of did, though. He accepted that he did a bad thing. I think he accepted that before. But he basically just sat there and was like, yep, okay, that's me. And then the Dark Powers... I would assume. I mean, we don't really know. We don't really know what they are. Um, that's one of the strongest points of the line is that they never explain what the dark powers actually are. We're just like, well, we're not going to have any fun with this guy. So then they got rid of him. They just sent him back. Also because, you know, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman really wanted to use him in their War of the Souls books. <laughs> they really wanted him back in <laughs> But then they just killed him off, which was the stupidest thing ever. He should have stayed in Ravenloft. And in fact, they're uh, in the, in the I think it's Gazakir number five from the third edition line. Uh, there's this specter of the Black Rose that comes back to Sithicus. And strangely enough, is actually helping some of the uh, the human settlers there. So it's, it's kind of an interesting note that maybe Lord Soth came back to Ravenloft after Tachesis crushed him with a castle. Yeah, he's a... He's a white knight now. Uh, well, we don't know. I mean, you could you could do it. Maybe maybe it's evil. Maybe it's not even Soth. Maybe it's this other uh, spirit that's just kind of using his memory uh, to uh, to get at these people. So there's a lot of different options. It's all pretty vague, but you know, it's kind of a interesting uh, new feature to the setting. Which uh, it's vague on purpose. It wants you to be able to fill in that blank yourself. If you want your game, if you want. Uh, the new guy to really honest and true be Lord Soth, great. It is. If you don't, well, hey, that's fine too. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And something interesting to, to note about the uh, Ravenloft line is uh, just how damn good some of these uh, third edition books were. So there's this line of uh, books called the Gazetteers for third edition. And yeah, I've I mentioned them a couple times here. Uh, what these books do is they expand the uh, different domains. They give you more details about them. You know, culture, arts, uh, different people, places, uh, and really just flesh out a lot of you know new options for you. Uh, and they they include a lot of these you know villains and other things. Uh, and for each of them, they give you dread possibilities. They basically give you three different options, three different suggestions for what could actually be you know the real deal with them. Uh, and let you pick and choose. And the fact that they don't pin things down like that really strengthen the Ravenloft uh, Domains of Dread setting uh, for for players and storytellers. Right, and that uh, that is a really strong point that uh, Sword and Sorcery and White Wolf had going for them. Uh, that I believe that they carried over to the New World of Darkness, where not everything was black and white, and there is no 
one true mm-hmm. answer. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's some of the cool stuff with Ravenloft. Um, and I think, you know what, that's a great point to transition to. Uh, what, what are some of the things that you could, you know, pick and choose from Ravenloft and maybe bring over to the World of Darkness games? Um, and uh, I was kind of thinking about this before. And, well, one thing is that, of course, there's uh, three different appendices for the Monstrous Manual for uh, for the Ravenloft setting. So that gives you a lot of different options for kind of funky monsters that you could bring in uh, and strange spirits themselves. Uh, definitely very useful for, uh, say, maybe maybe Changeling of the Dreaming or Changeling of the Lost, and uh, maybe for uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse or actually Forsaken as well. Uh, those games where they deal a lot with a uh, kind of an other world, whether it be uh, the Umbra or, or Spirit World um, or the Dreaming itself and kind of a uh, another fairy realm, uh, a lot of the kind of funky D&D monsters that you might have uh, definitely fit very well into those kind of more uh, ethereal places that you might investigate in the world of darkness. I don't know. I can't imagine any world of darkness game not being enhanced by the uh, blood-sucking cloak monster from uh, the oh. second Ravenloft. <laughs> yeah. Monstrous Compendium. Yeah, I remember that one. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> They're D- not all winners. <laughs> uh, D&D monsters kind of are weird a lot, but... Um, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some cool options there. Another one is that there's actually a lot of kind of neat modules that you could use, uh, and maybe just kind of take some of the core concepts uh, from. So I was thinking specifically the module I ran is uh, uh, Night of the Walking Dead, and that one is uh, it's actually a murder mystery essentially. That's how it starts off, uh, and the, uh, the characters are investigating in this town, a string of murders, and there's red licorice left behind. Uh, so they think it's kind of like this Jack the Ripper situation, which it is if Jack the Ripper was also a zombie master who was uh, assembling a zombie horde to then steamroll the city. I so, want to point out that we don't know to this day who Jack the Ripper was, so maybe he was a zombie master who was assembling a, a horde of zombies to assault the city. We don't know that. Yeah, it could be. That's a, that could be a good idea for Unhallowed Metropolis as well. Yeah, so, good. yeah, there's a... A couple of modules like that where you might be able to take some things. Uh, obviously, the more uh, the the modules that are more uh, intertwined with the setting and story of Ravenloft, the uh, essentially the meta plot of the setting, like the Grand, Grand Conjunction Adventures or the uh, the Grim Harvest uh, Requiem line, uh, those ones might be a bit tougher uh, to to steal ideas from. But I think there's some cool uh, general plot structure that you could grab. Uh, in addition, the uh... The mood and the themes, the investigation and hopelessness, uh, you can use those in any uh, uh, role-playing game, World of Darkness especially. Um, if you are a anything from a mortal hunting uh, monsters, New World of Darkness or Old World of Darkness, to uh, a neonate vampire who has recently uh, been embraced and now has to deal with this strange Byzantine uh, political structure that you find yourself in, there is not a huge amount of difference between uh, Strahd von Zarevich, the strange prince up in the castle, and the local Ventru prince up in his boardroom if you're at a ground-level campaign. 
Yeah, absolutely. Atmosphere is very important to the Ravenloft setting, and I think they've mostly done a good job with it. Um, especially things like the mists, or uh, these weather quite a bit, um, you know, storms, blizzards, that sort of thing. That's important stuff to remember if you're in kind of gothic setting, really just to enhance the feel and the mood of your game. So just kind of thinking about and considering those sorts of things that you might see in a Ravenloft product, but you can also just think of uh, yourself, uh, really will give you a lot of extra mileage uh, uh, and, you know, extra uh, player... I don't know, um, uh, buy-in uh, in your in your World of Darkness games. So Sure, it, it adds a bit of atmosphere and excitement to the World of Darkness. Yeah, so there we go. Ravenloft. It's a good time. Uh, I can definitely talk about it quite a bit, but, uh, you know, it's a pretty cool campaign setting. I'd say it's my favorite campaign setting. Would you concur, Chig? I do concur that it is, in fact, your favorite campaign setting. Yeah, okay. All right, Mr. Spelljammer. I like the odd ones. What can I say? With your... Spelljammer, Changeling the Dreaming. I like I like them weird. Okay, Chig. So, I was just thinking, like, oh, maybe I can, uh, you know, figure out some way to run Ravenloft, like castle ravenloft in the uh, in the world of darkness but now i'm thinking maybe you should run Spelljammer using changeling the dreaming do you think you could do it oh that is a good question yeah we'll have to think about that for the next darkling podcast and with that i think that's it for this episode so if you want to uh, submit your own darkling episode um, maybe you want to talk a little bit more about ravenloft maybe you just want to call and be like hey you guys uh you guys kind of missed these important points. Uh, we'd love to hear it. So uh, definitely uh, drop us a line over at uh, darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Uh, you can definitely send us an MP3 if you want to submit something for your own Darkling episode. Or you can uh, just send us a message. And then also check us out on G+, at our uh, Darker Days Radio G+, community. That's where all the uh, cool discussion is going on. And uh, hopefully we'll get a little bit of Ravenloft discussion over there uh, now that we've released this episode. So definitely good stuff and uh yeah i think that's it chig um anything else we need to mention i don't think so oh oh yeah we do we have to mention that we're having a contest going on right now so uh all you have to do uh for this contest is to uh submit uh to to our email darkerdaysradio at gmail.com uh just tell us what vampire clan we would be uh, you know, maybe I'm a Sedite, and someone actually did submit saying that I'm a Sedite, so thanks, guy. Pretty, maybe Chig sure. is a um, uh, Nosferatu vampire were jaguar from the Ravenloft setting. You can suggest that. Uh, and then maybe Chris is, um, I don't know, he's a uh, a lost, you know, changing the lost changeling who's been embraced by Clan Gangrel. And has become a Ventru D-bag. I mean, uh, Invictus D-bag. I don't know. I'm just throwing out random stuff. And uh, if you are randomly selected by uh, from all the entries, you will win a physical copy of Vampire Blood and Smoke The Strix Murder Chronicles, which is the new Chronicle book for uh, Vampire the Requiem. But it's also very useful for Vampire the Masquerade. And you know what? If you're a fan of Ravenloft, you might get some cool ideas for how to you know, adjust vampires for uh, your Ravenloft setting. And with that, I think we're done, Chig. I think we had a good discussion. Yeah, definitely. So, 
with that, uh, good night. Okay, okay, we're going to start again. Yeah, Chig, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how you would run, like, the Castle Ravenloft itself in the World of Darkness. It seems like it would be really tough. Yeah, well, you know, dungeon crawls end are just, they're just a series of rooms where treasure exists. Generally speaking, dungeon crawls, that's, that's the point of them. They're, they're pointless. And the World of Darkness really doesn't do a lot of pointlessness well you want to have something going on to tie it all together that is that is a great tagline that we should give Donix path world of darkness it doesn't do pointlessness very well <laughs> yes yeah that's sure. good so but so yeah i'm trying to think of like works. how you you could have like this evolving story or something you know as you go through different rooms like maybe there's a clue in each room you could try to piece it all together and maybe you have a story kind of evolve from that where the the players are kind of putting everything together that's really tough to do though. i'm not i'm not sure what kind of clues or what you could really put together to, to figure that out and have it in every room that i mean you want in a dungeon crawl you don't want every sometimes a cigar is just a cigar sometimes a 10 by 10 room with a fork in the center guarding a chest is just treasure yeah well my thought is that you know if they don't make it every it, it would be there'd be redundancy obviously um, I guess you wouldn't put a clue in every room. You just have a list of clues that you go with, and then you could just hand them out essentially as you go, and that sort of thing. Maybe. Um, but I don't maybe know, it like, be what... done as more of a skill challenge kind of thing to overcome traps and obstacles as opposed to just a horde of cobbles. Yeah, that's what I was thinking maybe it would be better for adventure than, say, World of Darkness. I'm not saying it would be like a combat game going through Castle Ravenloft, although there would be definitely some freaky things like the, uh, the spiders or maybe the gargoyles coming alive in that, that first main corridor, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely there's options like that. Um, I'm just trying to think of uh, yeah, how you would do it. That's It's, it's a tough question. Uh, well, the problem the problem's going to arise in any... Uh, mystery type dungeon where you have to get clue A, B, and C to figure out what's going on is what happens if you get A and C but not B. Well, I mean, a good storyteller is always able to, you know, figure out a way to, you know, I, it, if nothing else, it can just come to what I did with the. Uh, if you remember the Tr Mirror Chronicle, there's this part where you're basically at a dead end, and I was just like, uh, roll for search. Like, okay. <laughs> you find a note, <laughs> and this is the other warehouse they are at tonight. Oh, and you're like, oh sweet, okay, let's just go right there. So, I mean, you can always do that sort of thing, where you can kind of just be like, oh, you notice that the clue is right in front of you. Um, to kind of just, like, forward things along. But the other problem is that, like, what, what story would you go with? Because, um, I mean, just exploring, say, the story of Strahd's past, well, that's, I mean, that's kind of cool. He has, he has kind of an interesting story. Uh, but you, you definitely want something more, some kind of additional conflict yeah, you want something for your players to care about. Something that will affect them. Exactly. So maybe you could go with them. 
Well, I mean, maybe they're going to the castle to try to save the the new version of Tatiana. Mm-hmm. And they're just, like, finding these clues as they go. I don't know about that. Because then it's kind of a tangential story. It's not really the story they are in. They're just finding out. They're learning someone else's story. And it's not right. their story. So that's kind of the problem. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, I mean, that's kind of what happens when you're, you know, exploring, like, I don't know, a haunted mansion or that sort of thing. You're finding someone else's story. It might actually work better as a, uh, a gumshoe game than mm. as a, a World of Darkness game. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Gumshoe is really set up for that kind of investigatory game. And um, even if you don't get all the clues, you you still have enough information moving forward that you're probably going to have enough information. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. That's interesting. That's interesting. And, well, I guess that's uh, it for this discussion, eh? All right. Sounds good. Cool. <laughs> Jeez, I forgot to completely talk about that random, like, Ravenloft port to the storyteller system that I was working on. Jeez. Yeah, Maybe I should mention how I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes, and people can just check it out and comment on it. It's totally not anywhere near completed, but... It's kind of cool. It's this, like, you know, mashup between Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, uh, you know, the storyteller system, and kind of the Ravenloft slash D&D concepts. I look forward to reading it, because I've never heard of it before now, clearly. Yeah, you, you've, Rick, reviewed it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm the audience. I've, I've never even heard of this before. It sounds great. I look forward to it. You're a terrible role player. I know. No, you're not, Chig. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. Hey, so just to submit another correction for this episode and just to keep things going. The 1990 box set was actually the Realm of Terror box set, and the 1994 box set was the Ravenloft campaign setting, so... Uh, just so no one gets confused or anything like that. Uh, now you know which is which. Thank you.